Welcome to the Big Dreams Great Teams podcast with me, your host, Paula Maidens. I'm a mum of two, a hiring and leadership coach, speaker, ex-corporate recruiter and serial entrepreneur who is obsessed with teaching capable business owners just like you how to become graceful and powerful leaders surrounded by a team who perform like rock stars. On this podcast, we'll be talking about all things people, business and leadership because Big dreams need great teams. You simply cannot do it on your own. I'm excited to have you here. Let's dive in. Do you know that only 7% of businesses in Australia grow their revenue beyond 2 million? I found out this stat recently and I find it fascinating. And it's from Jenny Stilwell's new book called The 7% Club where she shares not only these amazing facts about small growing businesses, but she also the reasons why businesses get stuck and the changes that need to occur within the business to make scaling two multiple seven figures both doable and enjoyable. So today, I have the incredible Jenny with me on the podcast to share her wisdom with us. She is a strategy advisor and business mentor who has helped hundreds of business owners through their challenges of growth, and her experience straddles both being a mentor to CEOs and also being a CEO herself for both her own business and as a CEO for others. So let's dive in, and a very big warm welcome to you, Jenny. Thank you, Paula. This is going to be great. I'm looking forward to this. I'm so excited to have you here. Would you like to start with telling us a little bit about your background and experience and the work that you do? Sure. My background is probably a little bit unusual. I'd say over the last, I was going to say 20 years, but when I really thought about uh, when I started my first consultancy, it's probably 30 years ago. So I've had three consultancies. My first was a marketing consultancy, which I started in a recession back in the 90s. And everyone said, no, 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 you can't do it. But I thought, no, self-determination is more important. I need to take control of my career because there's nothing out there. So I'd sort of grown up. I had general management roles. Then I started the marketing consultancy. And then I went into a company as a consultant and ended up as the CEO. And it was a publicly listed company. That was so interesting. I learned so much. And then uh, after that, I decided to start my own business advisory and mentoring company. So I did that for many years. And then, um, you know, I had a couple of roles in the intervening years, actually ending up as CEO of clients' companies. And now I've sort of re-engineered my business to focus on very specifically companies in this space that are struggling with the challenges of growth around and beyond 2 million. And I just love it. I absolutely love it. So, you know, I've had the CEO experience. I've had the corporate experience. I've had the entrepreneurial experience. So I get what my clients are going through. And like you with, you know, that corporate more structured background, you can take a lot of those learnings and and put them into more entrepreneurial companies. So Mm. that's it. Love that. Before we started recording, I was showing Jenny about how I've got her book with a load of post-it notes tagged here. Um, One of the many reasons I love your book is because you talk about your core philosophy being the sole purpose of starting and building a business should be to enable you to have a better life in every sense. And I agree with that so deeply for many reasons, including, you know, my own personal experience. I started my first business, woke up four years into it and just did not like the environment and the job that I'd created for myself. And I've shared many times before about unwinding that was, 
you know, full of heartache and and very, very costly. But my experience that I had isn't actually that unusual. I see so many business owners and I, many of my clients aren't loving the life that they found themselves living as a result of the business that they're building. What's your take on that? Why does that happen? Um, you know, and are you seeing that as well? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And, you know, I went through that myself. And I think particularly when you're a service provider, like you're not creating products and building, you know, filling a warehouse full of stock. It's it's something that's more flexible. And I think we all go into it because we can. You know, it's what we know, it's what we do. So, okay, well, you know, I'll I'll help clients with their marketing or I'll help clients with their whatever. And you do, you create a job. If you're not building a, a team and, and a company, you're sort of building a job for yourself, you can look around and go, I don't really like this. I'm not fulfilled or I'm not I'm not being stretched enough or I don't want to have to deal with these people that I've got on my team. You know, like it's just not working for me. Nothing's working for me. And I found that I was doing that with my first business, my marketing consultancy. And I got to a point and I just thought, I don't really want to do this anymore. I'd been so focused on what I can do. I realized one day, this isn't actually what I want to do. I've created this job and built this business for five years on what I can do. And I think that's what a lot of people do. You just do what you can rather than focusing on what do I really want? What's going to make me happy? And do you think it's just because it's not talked about enough? Probably. Because, you know, you start a business and there are people who question it and they're worried about security and, you know, what are you going to do? And there's an expectation that you will succeed. But we all know (laughs) that's not the reality. You know, there are so many business owners who've had many businesses um, and a lot would probably fall under the definition of not fail, but certainly not epic success. But yeah, that's probably not talked about very much at all. And Mm. so we all feel we have to perform and keep going. Mm. And I think as you mentioned in your book, in those early days of business, it is about sales. It is about, you know, getting it coming in the door. And I guess, you know, how it feels to you is probably less of a priority. But obviously that is not sustainable. And that brings us to talking about sort of as your business grows and as you start to approach that $2 million mark, which is what your book's all about, you know, tell us what happens, what changes and why it starts to feel so hard. Yeah, good question. In a word, complexity. So as a business grows, there is more complexity. You have more clients or more customers. You have more people to help you. You might have more products, more invoicing, more accounts. It's just more, more of everything. And so when you start, you can manage all of that and you've got it in your head and you can keep going that way. But at some point, the complexity becomes overwhelming. And because you're still at the at the core of it all, there's a lot of pressure on the business owner to help others or, you know, tell others what they should be doing or what the next step is. And it's the complexity that can stop you in your tracks. Or if you work out how to get through it, that can take you on to building a bigger company. But that's a real showstopper, the complexity. Mm. And is the complexity due to volume? Or is it due to other factors sometimes as well? It's probably primarily due to volume, but then sitting at the heart of that is the business owner. So then we get into, well, why can't you manage the complexity? You know, what's missing here? 
So then we get into, well, what needs to be put in place to give that person a feeling of having more control over their business? And I don't mean controlling, I mean just knowing what's going on. You know, I think that's the big piece that's missing because on any given day, all you're doing is fighting fires and answering and responding, but you don't really know uh, the new business that you're attracting is it profitable. You know, have you got too many people for the level of revenue that you've got? You know, those sorts of questions come with a complexity and if they're not answered, that's where people get into problems. Mm, And I think that is very reflective of probably how a lot of people feel who are listening is that sense of, you know, fighting fires, being pulled in lots of different directions and sometimes even beating themselves up that they haven't sort of thought about this or looked at this or gotten around to this, et cetera, et cetera. So you started to to talk about as businesses start to probably even get to seven figures through to the multiple seven-figure mark to that $2 million mark, that complexity kicks in. So what do business owners need to focus on to then be able to start to deal with that complexity and not feel like they're just fighting fires and they're pulled in a million different directions? Well, it's um, it's a hard one because what they have to do is stop and think about their business and dive into their business, which is completely the antithesis of what they want to do. Um, so it's a really hard step because they just say, I haven't got time, I haven't got time. But the first steps are to really have a look at the numbers in the business. And that's where I always start with my clients. And I know they most of them hate it, <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, you'd appreciate it. We have to go and look at the numbers, you know, what's happening. Yeah. You know, I had a client who was an eight-figure business and it was absolute chaos. It was completely out of control because it had grown so fast. And the clients that they were bringing on board, the, the focus was on sales, 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 you know, more clients, more, more, more. But what they were doing, they had some very, very high-value clients, quite a number of high-value clients which they ended up losing because they weren't focused on that. It was all about new and more. Mm. So they were getting more and more clients, but at a lower and lower value and lower and lower margin, which was diabolical for the business. And the owner had no idea about that because the focus was on more, more sales, more clients. But hang on a minute, they're not profitable. The margins are way too low. So I always... um, Look at the numbers, you know, the the top line is important, but the margin is really critical. And then profitability, of course, but then looking at ratios. So, you know, that's that's where it's really important too, because I know a lot of clients don't really understand that whole mix of margins and overheads and bottom line, because that's not what they do. So we have to look at that and look at you know, if you plan on adding another two people in the next eight months, what's the revenue per employee look like? Is it is it going up? Is it going down? Are they support people? Are they revenue generating people? doesn't mean you can't put them on board, but just understand the metrics in your business. So that's a huge eye-opener, huge. And that gives my clients big insights into how their business is traveling and where they might need to make some changes. So that's what we always focus on to start with. Then it's about, and it's not necessarily in this order, but the other key thing is looking at the core processes. You know, so 
if you're a consulting firm? What's the core process to onboard a new client through to delivery of the project? Uh, if you develop a brand, what's the core process from the idea through to getting it onto retailer shelves? And that's really interesting because that's where the business owner is able to kind of step back and step out because they realize that the only one in the business that knows every step of that core process is them. And that's why the team flounder sometimes or they have to go and constantly ask for an approval of something or can we do this or not, what's the next step? But once you get the team involved in mapping out that core process with the business owner, everything starts to fall into place. So everyone understands the end-to-end process. Everyone understands their role in that process. The business owner can step back, feeling a level of confidence and trust that they can. And also that's where you can look at efficiencies. Well, this core process has 10 steps. It really only needs seven. Oh, we've got five people involved in this core process. It really only needs three. And so that's a really useful exercise to also start taking that complexity and putting it more under control. And then, of course, the next element is the people. Yeah. And I think what you just said then is so interesting because a conversation that I find myself having a lot is how do you trust your team? How do you trust people? You know, the person who's worked with you for the longest, naturally you trust them more. But what you've just said then and what I'd like to highlight is by having core processes, you get to trust the process and the people are working within the process. So your confidence comes from knowing there's a process in the business that people are working within and then it's less about, oh, you know, you know, Mary would never do that to me. Mary always, you know, is a loyal employee and it's it's actually about, well, the business, business has this process that holds Mary and anybody else. Absolutely. And, and for any new people coming into the business, you know, getting them up and running quickly with a core process like that that's, that's identified and documented, you know, makes them get up to speed a lot faster because they, they get where they are in the process. And I think it's, um, it's a huge step to enable the CEO to start stepping out of the detailed day-to-day and focusing more on what they should be doing. Mm. I'd love to dive into talking about the people piece, so the third sort of part that you start to talk about there. And in your book you talked about capability gaps and you talk about not always hiring the, the cheapest person and how that doesn't always serve you. So can you share with us your philosophies when it comes to making the complexity of your business feel more simple via your people? Yeah. The first thing is to understand what you need in the business. So it's not about the people as such, it's about the roles. So what are we doing in this business? Um, What is the business owner involved in that they could delegate to someone else? Uh, What are these people doing that maybe they could take some of their role and give it to someone else and take on more of that? So it's understanding the roles and the functions in the business and identifying the gaps. So that's a really important piece. Um, The other thing is what I would call legacy people. So, And I've seen this so many times and I feel sorry for these legacy people because they start in the beginning with a business owner and it could be a friend or it could be someone they've worked with previously and they bring this person on board and they start out 
just doing sort of help. And then they become, you know, the business manager. And then suddenly they're operations manager. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. This person is so out of their depth. And they know that they're out of their depth, but they don't want to do the wrong thing by the business owner. They don't want to let them down. So you've got this this situation where you have to say, look, you know, if we still want the person in the business, maybe we can put them somewhere else. So they're doing what they're really good at um, and contributing to the business. But also sometimes um, there's a, an attitude of, well, I'll just bring on board less expensive people. We can't afford it. So I'm going to put someone on here and someone on there and a casual on there. But there's still this huge gap between what the business owner knows and what the next level down knows. And it's not their fault. They haven't been brought in to do that, but there's an expectation. So it really goes back to understanding the gaps in your business, where you need resources. You've got to let go of personal attachments you know, you can still be a human being and have have decent conversations with people about changes you might be making in your business because often the person you want to have the conversation with is relieved. Like, oh, thank God I don't have to step up and be operations manager. And, you know, I think we all know that if you have a really great person, they can do the work of maybe two people, depending upon what the role is and the person and everything. So I think... If you can, it's always better to invest in that person to start with one person to reduce that capability gap, reduce the load on the business owner. And that's really, once people start to think of people as assets to their business instead of liabilities, that's another important step to help them manage complexity and make the transition from business owner to CEO. Mm. really important. Mm. It's so important, the whole people piece. Love that. I talk to my clients a lot about considering the return on return on investment for your spend on each person. And in some roles, it's really obvious and easy, salesperson. <laughs> you know, you spend money, yeah. you get certain sales, particularly a direct salesperson. And it gets more difficult for more back office or support roles, et cetera, that aren't linked directly to sales. And I think because it's a little bit difficult, it then gets overlooked. And the, the cost gets swallowed. And if the person's not performing or, you know, reading your mind, then yeah. resentment can really build in. So I love that you've just talked about the clarity around the function. So getting clear on the roles and the functions that you need, the gaps, and then looking at what is the, what is the experience we need and yeah. do we need to hire in that experience to get that person so that we can actually go, okay, well, I'm spending this money, but what is the business getting? And that's a huge lesson, isn't it? That's a big, that's a huge step for so many people to get out of the mindset of, no, we'll just bring in juniors or we'll bring in a casual or bring in someone who's less experienced and we'll train them up. Mm. It's like, mm. okay, well, money is speed. That's what I always say. If you want to, mm. if you want to move forward faster, um, not that this exercise is all about speed, but you've got to consider that cost of training that person. And, you know, there's still going to be a capability gap. So once business owners start to realise the value that good people can add to their business, it's a game changer. Mm. It's like that saying, which I hate, which is hire for attitude, not for skills. 
and I hate it because I'm like, you have to hire for attitude and skills. Yeah. Because as a as a small growing business, you don't have time to train everybody on everything, as you've just rightly said. And you can have the most proactive, amazing, attitudinal personality and person in the world who you adore, but if they can't perform the function the way you want it done, then your business is going backwards, not forwards. Exactly. So whoever coined that, <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Let's get rid of it. Um, okay, so you've talked about the complexity that starts to kick in as you you know creep towards that $2 million mark and you've talked about you're simplifying the complexity through looking at the numbers, knowing your metrics, measuring your metrics, looking at your core processes and getting everybody knowing those processes and looking at your people. So understanding the, how important it is you know what roles exist and having the right people in those roles. So when we think of these core things that we need to do to sort of make going crossing that $2 million mark and through it easier, do we wait until we're at $2 million revenue point? Is it savvy to start earlier? Is it over-baking it if you start earlier? What's your opinion there? Great question. It, it could be over-baking it if you go too early, but if you are in growth mode, you know, once you've you've gone past – um, say the million dollar mark and, and your goal is, it's always a natural goal, isn't it, once you've hit a million to go to two million. It's always that natural next step. So if you know that's where you're going, that's where you want to go, then definitely start thinking about these things. And it doesn't need to be over-engineered, but initially, you know, what, what do our numbers look like? Like really understand the numbers in the business and start thinking about, well, you know, I had a, a meeting with a client the other day and their growth expectations for the next 12 months are massive and they do a lot of government contracts and things. And I said, well, you know, we're looking at X percent growth, which is huge in the next 12 months. Have you given thought to how you're going to deliver that? What resources do you need? So it doesn't mean they're going to employ everyone all at once, but that's a consideration you know, with the growth that I want to have in the next 12 months or two years, what are the key roles that I'm going to need to help me get there? So start to think, always be on top of the numbers, always. Um, but start to think about your resourcing and start to think about, well, we're going to have more people on the team. We really need to engage the team in strategy. And it's only the smaller businesses that say, oh, no, I don't need to discuss it with the team. I just work it out myself and then I'll just tell them, okay, well, that's fine, but you're not going to get the engagement and the commitment um, to the execution of that strategy if you just tell them, do this. So start to think about engaging your team in putting together the strategy for the next 12 months that they're going to help you to implement. So it doesn't need to be big deal stuff, but they're the things that definitely you need to be thinking about. Mm. And I think you started to talk, touch on there almost the difference between goals and strategy. And I think earlier, newer businesses, when we start out in business, we have goals, which is primarily bring in revenue, yes. <laughs> pay myself <laughs> something, <laughs> and then double that, double that, do it again. <laughs> And so I guess what I'm hearing you say and I'd love you to talk to is the strategy piece is often missing and then bringing other people in. Is that what you're saying, in on actually creating that strategy together? Yes. So have the goals but go beyond that. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So and sometimes the goals are 
there's goals and there's things that need to be done. So there's kind of business as usual. For example, if you said, you know, we need to implement a new, I don't know, email marketing system, for example. Well, that's that's a project. It's not a goal. It's a project. And we want to have that done by September. Okay, well, that's a business as usual kind of something that needs to be done, goal, project, call it what you want. Bigger goals could be, you know, we want to acquire another tier one client by the end of the year. So that's the goal. But well, what's our strategy going to be? You can't just sort of go out there and say, we're just going to pitch to a whole heap of people. What's the strategy? And the, the strategy is the how. So the goal is the what, the strategy is how are we going to do it? And that's where, you know, the engagement of a team is fantastic because you get someone who's really creative, he'll come out with this, you know, completely unusual idea and you go, wow, that's a great idea. And, you know, we all have different aspects to add. So when trying to work out the how, you get so much more engaging a team than sitting there trying to work it out for yourself. That's why we bring people on board to help us grow. So use their input, use their ideas, their experience. You know, it's so invaluable. Mm, love that. Okay. So lots of really interesting information that you've shared today. Could you wrap up by giving us, say, your top three tips for successfully growing to and through two million? Yes. I think the first one, which we've talked about, is the structure because you can't grow beyond, you know, whether it's a million and a half or three million, around that size, it's it's a significant shift and you cannot grow without changing the structure. So you've got to focus on the structure. The people you bring on board to help you on that journey of growth are really important. So you've got to take it seriously. You've got to really think about who's going to help you. And the other thing is the strategy. You know, what's your how? And to get your team involved in not just working out what's the how, but in the actual execution of that, the implementation of your strategy. And once you get to that, you're on your way. Lovely. Love those. Jenny, I have loved reading your book and I want everybody to read it, everyone who's listening. So where can they find to get their hands on the book and connect with you in general and um, follow you? If you go to my website, Jenny Stillwell, that's J-E-N-N-Y-S-T-I-L-W-E-L-L.com.au, um, there's a tab on there for the book so you can get the book, the contact details, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, there's a contact form if you'd like to get in touch, have a chat. And, um, yeah, I think it's all, all there on the website. That's the easy starting point. Amazing. Well, congratulations for writing such an insightful, easy-to-read book, which is hugely beneficial to lots of small businesses growing. I've appreciated reading it. I'm sure everybody listening has too. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your wisdom today. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been great talking to you. I've loved it. 